All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. Happy Sunday to you. It is cooler in here than it will be outside, so feel free to stay for the rest of the day if you need to. <laughs> my my uh, son has come home for a, a couple of nights on the weekend um, before he goes back to school, and I think one of the main reasons is his dorm does not have air conditioning. <laughs> so he can, he can enjoy ours at home for a couple nights. Um, all right, get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps if you do not have a Bible to follow along in. We're going to teach from the Bible this morning. Again, we're in a series that we're doing. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around with Bibles, and you can take one of those and follow along. Um, and if you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive. This being a family service, I'm going to make my way to the back here for just a minute because um, I want to introduce our kids uh, to what we're going to talk about this morning. All right, so back here on the tables. Kids, eyes on me. Hold off on your projects for just a minute, okay? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have seen a really good magician before? Have seen a magician do a show, right? They do these shows, they do some wild things, they do some, uh, some illusions, they make you believe that an object that they have can disappear, right? How many of you have seen that trick before? That something disappears, right? And so they go, okay, I want you to tell me which, which hand this object is in. And so they're going to go back and forth and back and forth, and then they go around the back and they're like, okay, tell me which hand that ball is in. Neither. How do you know? Well, that's how the trick works. All right, so this morning we're going to tell a story about uh, some, some things that happened that really could have seemed like this was incredible magic, and it wasn't. Oh, thanks, yes. It, it will be better than mine, so yes, let's hope it's better than mine. That's the kind of crowd participation I like right there. <laughs> All right. Okay. But before we get to our story, we're going to look at something in the previous chapter because in order to get the full impact of something that we look at on a Sunday morning, we often have to look at all the context around what we're looking at specifically on that morning. And so that's why Acts chapter 4 is up there. You got your Bibles, you open up to Acts chapter 4 which we've already covered, okay? We're actually on chapter 5 right now, but what we're going to see today is something that is deeply connected to the events in the previous chapter. So back in Acts 4, Peter and John get arrested, they're held overnight, and then they get questioned and threatened by the religious leaders of the day. The leaders didn't know what to do with Peter and John and the growing number of people that were choosing to follow Jesus. And so they tell Peter and John to knock it off. Stop this. Stop the preaching. Stop what you're doing here. We won't allow it anymore. And so all of this gets shared with the other believers and together they take a step, the right step. They pray. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30 is part of that prayer. And here's what they prayed. They said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, don't you think this is kind of an interesting request? I get the boldness part. 
I pray for boldness for people on a regular basis. I pray that people will find the freedom to speak the truth about God and that God will give them the words to say through his spirit. I pray that for myself and I pray that for others. But there's more to the believer's prayer here. They ask for boldness, but they combine that request with an agreement that God will demonstrate his power through healing signs and wonders. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit here. But first... Let's see if God answered their prayers. So turn over to Acts chapter 5 now and verse 12. Acts 5, verse 12. This is Acts 5, verses 12 to 16, and it is an amazing response to their prayers. It says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, that was a pretty specific answer to their prayer. Very specific. Boldness, check. Healing, check. Signs, check. Wonders, check. It's all there. So let's dig into what happened here with some clarity around certain terms and some context that gives this story even more impact. And then we'll figure out what we can can do to apply this to our own lives. So verse 12. Peter and John had been warned. But given the choice between following the warnings of the religious leaders... Or following the guidance of God's spirit, they chose to take their chances with the religious leaders and follow, obey God's instruction. They spoke and acted freely. And not just once. This was something that was ongoing. This was going on every day and not in a secret basement somewhere. On the east side of the temple in Jerusalem was a place that we've seen mentioned before. It was a long, narrow porch called Solomon's Portico or porch. The Jewish followers of Jesus met there, and Peter and John taught. They preached the gospel, and right there in a very conspicuous place, unbelievable things happened. But remember what had just taken place with Ananias and Sapphira. Tough story. Remember that the general state of the people there was fear, legitimate fear. Everyone was still wrestling with the reality of two people losing their lives for attempting to test God's spirit and lie about their devotion. Now imagine following what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, Peter and John inviting other believers to join them in preaching the gospel and being being vessels through which God demonstrates his power. It's a tough invitation to accept based on what just happened. I would imagine a lot of people were examining their own level of devotion to this movement that was taking place. And so as it says, nobody was stepping forward to join the apostles in what they were doing. But everyone, everyone held them in high esteem. People were impressed with what was happening and who was involved. This was an incredible series of events and and many people were being blessed through this. The tone around the the declaration and the demonstration was celebratory. This was a big deal. 
So what was happening? Well, let's make sure that we understand this well. This wasn't just a, a bunch of random stuff that was meant to draw attention. Not at all. Verse 12 told us that signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. What then is a sign? What does that mean? And this is critical. A sign is an unusual occurrence by which God authenticates that whatever's happening or being said, it's from Him. Something that's happening or something that's being said receives God's stamp of approval through an action or demonstration that accompanies it. And that's what was going on. The whole church movement during this time was so new and so different that God chose to give the world some undeniable signs that this was His work. He was doing this. It was His will. This was never intended to be just another religious movement, one that that can be accepted or rejected while being compared to other options around them. The formation of the first century church was God's plan, and God's plan was being carried out. It needed his signature to authenticate it, and his signature looked so incredible that there could be no way of denying that this was indeed God's plan. Now, back when Jesus came... There were many prophecies that were fulfilled as signs that that was God's plan. At the end of the book of Mark, Jesus promises that there would be signs to accompany the work of his followers. And that promise was being played out here in our story today. Beyond this, Paul's ministry was also to be, to be accompanied by signs. And it was. All of this to show the world that this was God at work. His plan was being carried out. And he backed that up with signs that this was his plan. And you'll very often see the words signs and wonders together. They accompany each other a lot. Wonders are miracles. These miracles were the signs that God's approval was on this. The meetings in Solomon's portico, gatherings of Jesus' followers and others who were there, were stamped as authentic by God. God said, this is real, this is mine. Pay attention to what's going on here. It gave people something pretty jarring to wrestle with. They'd have to work pretty hard to convince themselves that this was not God's doing. Okay, carrying on to verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. This gospel movement continued with force. Droves of men and women became followers of Jesus. The message got through to them. The miracles affirmed the truth of the message. God was in this and they wanted to be in this too. More than ever means by the thousands since there were already thousands of Jesus followers. The church was expanding dramatically at this time. And Luke, Luke makes sure that we know that the expansion included men and women. Jesus was teaching so many and God's love was affirmed in the lives of many, many men and women. God's power on display awakened something in the people in Jerusalem. How could it not? Every person that heard about what was happening at the temple on an ongoing basis, what was being taught, what was being done... That caught the attention of a city filled with people who were very much aware of the struggles of life at that time. Poverty, illness, famine, all kinds of reminders that this is a fallen world 
were the everyday experiences of life in Jerusalem. Life was not easy. Life was kind of a letdown and has been all along. Now, if you heard of something like this going on in our city, what would you do? If you heard that there was a message of hope and love and truth spreading with great force and transforming lives, what would you do? If you heard that there was a healing movement taking place right here in your city, a movement that included healing people of cancer and dementia and mental illnesses of all kinds, healing people, what would you do? Well, I'm assuming you would make the move to check it out. And for the people of Jerusalem, there was even a name attached to all this. That name was Peter. God was healing people through the hands of Peter so that Peter's message would come with power and with credibility as being from God. And so people went looking for Peter. Luke makes an unexpected maybe statement about the logistics of this quest to come in contact with Peter. Luke writes that people carried out their sick to be healed on cots and mats. Why does he say that? There's a hidden statement here. Cots were small beds or small couches, pieces of furniture, and some people were carried out there on these nice, comfortable pieces of furniture. Mats were most likely just made of straw and wood or something like that. The statement is that both the rich and the poor were seeking healing. The rich would carry out the sick on cots, a little fancier. The poor would carry out their sick on mats. Both needed the healing. And then there's this whole shadow thing. People were so hopeful for healing that they would even be content if their sick loved one came in contact with Peter's shadow. And there are a few thoughts that accompany this. When Jesus was around, even the hem of his cloak had healing power. In Paul's ministry, a handkerchief that had been touched by him could carry God's power. And there were many at that time who believed that a person's shadow was a physical part of that person. Much like Peter Pan, right? They believed that you could harm a person by harming their shadow. And so, of course, they believed that there could be healing power in Peter's shadow. They needed to get at least that close to Peter. And then we get a taste of the start of the expansion of the church. In verse 16, we see the first mention of the gospel accompanied by signs and wonders reaching beyond Jerusalem to the surrounding towns. Obviously, word got out. Obviously, people were willing to travel to get to this phenomenon. Um, try to imagine what this meant to life in the temple where they met. That's a lot of people, a lot of activity, a lot of energy there's a very big disruptive scene taking place here. And we get to see this verse that signs and wonders went beyond physical healing. The sick were brought to the apostles. So were those who had unclean spirits, it says. The demon possessed found freedom here as well. And all those who came were healed no matter what they were facing. Now, it's hard not to wish that we could see something like this happening right now, isn't it? Can you imagine? 
But we have to remember that what happened at the time of this story we just read happened to give credibility to the message that was being taught. The signs and wonders were God's stamp of approval. And so, did he just stop giving the gospel his stamp of approval after that? Well, obviously not. The authentication of the truth came with the work of the Holy Spirit to affirm it. Remember that. God has never stopped doing this authentication through the Holy Spirit. Which is one of many, many reasons why we have to be more aware of and more attentive to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of this church. Now when I prepare a message for a Sunday morning like this, one of the things I do is I pray that God would bring his power by his spirit to the words that are spoken through me on a Sunday morning. I don't believe for a minute that my messages are just my own. I don't simply rely on my opinion and my understanding of something to produce a message each Sunday. I trust God's guidance and I pray for that and I pray for God's power in everything that I do. These are both works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us if we let him. The life of the Apostle Paul is this great example of this truth that the Holy Spirit guides. There are many stories in Paul's journey that prove the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in his life and his ministry. I believe the Spirit guides me. I refuse to simply grab some dynamic message that was preached by someone else and deliver it myself. I can't. I can't do that. Unless God clearly guides me to do that. I, I ask God to guide me to what he wants for this church family. And besides guidance, the Spirit provides power to do what we're doing. I have the extreme privilege of seeing God's authentication of what's happening here as I listen to stories from you about how God spoke or how, how he opened your eyes, I see transformation, I see growth, I see understanding, I see the, the deepening of our walk with God, I see the impact of our church on the people in our communities, I see all kinds of signs that God is in this. And we are part of his plan and we're carrying out his will. And he makes that clear. And so as we pray for boldness for each other, like the church in Acts 5 did, will we also pray for signs that God is in this? I don't think that's out of line for us. Look at what we just saw as an answer to that prayer in today's story. They prayed for boldness and they got it. They prayed that God would provide signs and wonders and he did. The church in Acts 5 celebrated God's authentication of what was happening. But it was never about just being relieved from sickness and pain. It wasn't about being more comfortable. It was about aligning with what God was doing. Obviously, God isn't healing like this today. Um, no one's seeking out my shadow, thankfully. But people are seeking out truth and hope, and affirmation, and encouragement, and forgiveness, and restoration, and freedom, and so much more. And God's doing that through the gospel as it's declared with boldness by his people. 
But God is also providing signs that his plan is being accomplished as his people join him in his quest to redeem this world. Church, I think we know what God wants. God wants to love the world through the hands of his children. God is love, John tells us. And as he is, so are we in this world. In our story today, God demonstrated his love for his creation as he invited them to receive truth and forgiveness and freedom. And he used the hands of his children to do this. And then he went about putting his stamp of approval on it. He showed the world that this was from him. And he hasn't stopped doing this. Now, isn't this something that you want to be a part of? I think we all do. I love that God used healing to communicate his love for the world. It was powerful enough to show the world that something bigger than the world was happening here. But there's a statement being made through healing that goes beyond just taking away illness. It's a statement of hope. My parents, who are 85 years old, both ended up in the hospital this week. They're both facing health issues that intensified dramatically just a few days ago. Um, thankfully, my sister, who is a nurse, was there and made sure they got all the help they needed. And as I wrote this message, I was, I was actually sitting waiting for updates from my sister. She ran back and forth between their rooms trying to keep track of what was going on and waiting for results from tests and any news that she could get, all the while keeping them encouraged and making sure that they didn't face this alone. So was I thinking that, was I wishing that my sister could just carry them out into the street where they might be passed over and healed by Peter's shadow? Yeah, of course I was. But I found comfort in this. They're already healed. Their spirits are safely in God's hand. And as God's son and daughter, they know the truth about Jesus. They know the truth about eternity. They know the truth about who they belong to. They know the truth about who they are. They're already free from the fear of death. And God has filled their lives with signs and wonders affirming his presence and his power in their lives. So as they lived through that moment, facing the limitations of our earthly bodies and the limitation of our earthly lives, they faced and are facing this with hope. And church, God really wants all of his creation to know that hope. He doesn't want any part of his creation to have to live through this short, difficult phase of the human experience without hope. Just like he desired during the formation of the New Testament church, God desires to offer hope to his world. And just like he did in the New Testament church, God chooses his children to spread that message of hope and the same power behind the ministry of Jesus' disciples in Acts 5 is behind you and me as well. 
the same boldness, the same power. It's ours. And so as we pray for each other to receive the boldness that we need to speak hope into people's lives, to, to speak Jesus into people's lives, can we ask God to bring his authentication to this ministry that he's called us to? We can still ask him for signs and wonders. They may not look the same as the miraculous healings that we read about, but God still heals. And it's an honor to be a part of what he is still doing. Where does that healing come from? It comes from God through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 verse 5 reminds us that it is by the piercing, the crushing, the wounding of Jesus that we are healed. This hope that we're called to, to declare is found in what Jesus did for us by taking our place on the cross, facing the chastisement of God the Father himself. So we don't. And this morning we celebrate that hope and peace and forgiveness as we share communion together. Just a little bit of instruction for those of you who are at tables in the back. The elements of communion are on your table. You can share that there, those of you who are in the seats here. As we start our closing songs, you're free to move to the middle aisle here. Come up and get the elements. Take them back to your seats. Take them to a place where you can gather with your family or other loved ones or just be by yourself. And when you're ready, just take those elements. And as you do, remember what God did through us, for us through Jesus Christ. He brought us healing. And the healing that we have experienced in our lives, the healing of our spirits, the restoration of our souls, even the way that God works in our bodies sometimes, all signs and wonders authenticating the fact that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of hope, is true and it's God's. And the elements of communion are a fantastic reminder of that because Isaiah said in his prophecy that it's by what happened to Jesus on the cross that you and I are healed. God heals. He's still doing it. We're seeing it in the lives around us. We've seen it in our own lives. Let's celebrate that together as we come and remember through communion. Will you bow with me? We're going to pray together. And then after that, as we're, we're singing together, when you're ready, just come and get the elements or sh share them at your table and enter into a time of remembrance and thanksgiving for all that God has done through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning that the message that we've received, that message of hope, that message of freedom and forgiveness and new life comes with such power. It has changed our lives so much and we can't thank you enough for bringing us that message. However we received it, we are grateful for that. God, we stand on the fact that we have been healed by you. And that while we still wrestle with things that are broken in our lives, including our bodies, 
Thank you for the hope that we know that when Jesus comes back, all of that will be restored. And there will be no more sickness, nor sorrow, nor pain, no suffering of any kind. We have that hope now, today. And that hope is authenticated by what we see in our lives and what we see in the lives of the people around us. And so God, as we continue to grow in our boldness and sharing the message of hope with those around us, God, will you accompany that with signs and wonders, things that remind us that this is your will, this is your plan. Lord, we come to the table now in a spirit of thanksgiving. Thanking you for healing us through the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we give thanks. And